What's good? What's good? It's C. Wood. Back at you again with another hard-hitting episode of Ball About the South with C. Wood. Ball About the South, that sports podcast where it's real sports with real southern flavor. I am Kerry Wood. We call me, we call me C. Wood for short. At C. Wood on sports on Twitter. <laughs> Wait a minute. I can't say Twitter anymore, can I? <laughs> At C. Wood on sports on the X or X. Or Twitter, cause I'm gonna keep. I'm gonna keep talk, calling it Twitter. I mean, I'm like my boy on Coming to America, man. Uh, Eddie Murphy there in the barbershop. Uh, <laughs> he they were talking about Muhammad Ali. He said his mom called him Clay. I'm gonna call him Clay. So in this case, whoever invented Twitter, they called it Twitter. I'm gonna call it Twitter. That's just the way I'm gonna handle it. <laughs> so but anyway, whatever you want to call it. Catch me at C Wood on Sports on Twitter, the X, whatever, and IG, and on Threads as well if you have an account there. And uh, I would definitely love to chop up some sports with you or whatever, man. Just uh, hit me up and follow the follow me and follow the show as well. Um, again, but I definitely appreciate you coming in to ball about the South with me again. Uh, this is the 49th episode. Moving on up, and we got. Just one from the Big Five or the Big 50th uh, episode here on Ball About the South. Again, I uh, do. I really do appreciate you coming in and joining me. I would definitely appreciate you if you like, subscribe, share uh, the uh, podcast, and uh, really put the word out and let everyone know. If you're enjoying it, let someone else know that you enjoy Ball About the South. Anyway, man, let's get started. Got a lot to talk about now. The last couple of episodes, I have been really heavy NBA. Well, the NBA is going to take a little bit of a backseat. They're going, the NBA is going to make one of those little cameo appearances. You know, <laughs> you know how some actors or actresses doing a movie or whatever, they, you'll see them for a quick minute, and then they and they bounce. They dip out of the movie and you won't see them again. That's kind of what the NBA is going to do here today. <laughs> uh, we're going to talk just a couple of quick things on the NBA. And then we're going to get into a heavy football show, mostly college football today. Is uh, I kind of go back over uh, some of the things that we heard, SEC Media Days and all of that. We're getting ready. we got camps lining up to start this week. As we get ready for the 2023 college football season, we'll talk a little bit of NFL as well at the end of the show. D Hop or Titan? You know, we got to get into that for a quick minute and uh, a couple other things there. Um, so, yeah, look forward to that. But, well, you know, and of course, yeah, you, you see the title of the show <laughs> Saban, Kate, and the SEC. Uh, you know, okay, I'm going to have let you know what I mean by that. Saban, Nick Saban's cake. I'll tell you what I mean by that. He made that reference there at Media Days, and I figured I would kind of take advantage of that. And, uh, yeah, we'll, you'll see what I'm talking about in that segment where I go around the SEC. But anyway, uh, like I said, really quick, a couple things before I get into the meat of this episode. First of all, I want to sit here and, and give out my thoughts and my prayers to Bronny James. Um, obviously, his family, LeBron, Savannah, and all of that. Uh, man, just another scary situation with another athlete 
Very much like Demar Hamlin, I guess. Uh, I guess the biggest difference we didn't see it happen before our eyes on Monday Night Football or whatever. But uh, where he apparently had a cardiac arrest, his heart stopped on him or whatever. But thank God, thank goodness, he is okay. He's back home and uh, looking like everything's going to be okay for him to continue on with his career. I'm definitely hoping that that is the case. And um, but I definitely hope. He's not able to to keep on with his career. I mean, look, the main thing is that he is still here with us, and uh, I definitely want to shout out my my thoughts and prayers to his family. Uh, one other thing, really quick, man, I had a huge boxing match this past weekend. Now I don't talk, I've rarely, if ever, talk boxing here on this show, but I had to shout out. Terrence Bud Crawford for that performance Saturday night against Errol Spence. I mean, that was crazy. <laughs> man, uh, man, give Crawford a lot of credit for that performance. He put the, the hurt on Errol Spence. Now, I, I'm going to have to sit here and give Errol Spence his props as well. I mean, he sat there and really took that beating and kept coming back. And there at the end of the fight, uh, Crawford Bud pretty much told him told him the same thing I mean I thought it was a very classic move there at the end of the fight to uh, some of the things he was saying to Errol Spence and I, again even though it turned out to be a TKO in the ninth round and obviously Spence <laughs> hit the canvas three or four times or whatever I still thought it was a very entertaining fight from both sides so but again congrats to Bud Crawford yeah man so um and we move on and we talk just a little bit of NBA and obviously the biggest story right now in the NBA. <laughs> uh, we got free agency going on still, of course, but really the only two big stories we have going on in NBA free agency are Dane Lillard and James Harden. Neither one of those situations have taken care of themselves yet. So I'm not really sure how that, those two situations are going to work out, but one that we uh, there's one that's been taken care of in the city of Boston. The Boston Celtics have re-signed Jalen Brown. Huge contract, three hundred four million dollars. I cannot believe it. I mean, this crazy. The biggest contract ever in the NBA. Uh, obviously, <laughs> you know, it's, we're not going. It doesn't take much to sit here and question paying him that type of money. Don't get me wrong, but. I'm happy for him, and I'm happy for the Boston Celtics uh, organization. Even though I'm not a Celtics fan, I'm a Rockets fan. You know, you follow this me on <laughs> on social media. If you follow this podcast at all, you know that I'm a huge Rockets fan. But you know, I, I just kind of got tired of all the talk about. Oh well, we need, the Celtics need to trade Jalen Brown, and I and I get some of it because I think there was some there were. It was put out there that maybe he would not sign a long-term deal with them, and there were other issues here and there about about this whole marriage between Jalen Brown and the Boston Celtics. I mean, maybe they felt like they needed an upgrade or whatever. I don't know where they thought they were going to get that because, look, man, Jalen Brown, he was eligible for the Supermax, and he got it. Okay, so, I mean, <laughs> this dude, look, man, you can sit here and pick apart his game all you want to. I mean, yeah, I understand his, his handle could be tighter. I agree with that. He might could shoot the ball a little bit better. Uh, you know, but for me, 
I mean, to me, he qualifies as basically a three and D type guy. Well, okay, okay, all right, okay. Maybe if you say he's not a three and D guy, at least he's a two and a half and D. <laughs> two and a quarter and D. Okay, at least he, at least he's that. <laughs> and uh, I mean, I just think again, obviously the the money is is just crazy, but. For me, in my opinion, I think it's the move that you make if you're the Celtics. Because, I mean, you're talking about two guys, Tatum and Brown, that are still just scratching the surface. I mean, and they've already been to a finals. They've already been to two Eastern Conference finals. I'm just not, you know, I couldn't understand the talk to sit here and get rid of him. I couldn't. So, congrats to him, congrats to the Celtics on a huge move that really has shaken the NBA, to say the least, man. That is crazy. Uh, yeah, yeah, we've got a couple other nuggets that I want to talk about. Uh, one huge one here in the Pac-12. Pac-12 moving on from the Colorado, well, I'm sorry, the Colorado Buffaloes moving on from the Pac-12. And that may be the, the first domino into... The Pac-12 being a, in a world of hurt, to be honest with you. Um, the uh, the Pac-12 is up against the ropes, man, right now. Let's just be real about it. Uh, Colorado Buffaloes going back to the Big 12, which is obviously huge news. Basically where they came from. Uh, a lot of people thinking maybe the addition of Deion Sanders, Coach Prime, had something to do with it. I'm not going to say that it didn't, but I just think with everything going on, with everyone knowing where the Pac-12 is, uh, you know, already losing SC, already losing UCLA, possibly, possibly losing Washington or Oregon or both, or maybe the Arizona schools and all of that. I don't think it was a far-fetched idea that the Big 12 would say, you know, Colorado is right there basically in our footprint. They were already in the league at one time. We might as well go back and scoop them up again. I just, I don't know if Deion Sanders had as much to do with that as some people think. Yeah. Anyway, that's just my that's just my thoughts. But regardless of that fact, they're moving on and now the question, you know, the well, the focus goes on to the Arizona schools, especially Arizona. Maybe not Arizona State, but especially Arizona. And then, of course, like I said, those two teams in, in the Pacific Northwest, Oregon and Washington. What do they do? I think I still think Oregon and Washington end up in the Big Ten. But we'll see. The one feather in the Pac-12's hat may be this 12-team playoff in keeping Oregon and Washington because – the top six conferences are guaranteed a spot in that playoff. Okay, the winner. Okay, the winner of those six conferences. So that would mean the Pac-12 would still be good as far as that goes. Now, this media rights deal, that is the other huge piece of news with the Pac-12. I mean, you know, we know how big a, uh, a negative that the Pac-12 network became. Even though I think it's a good network, nobody watched it. <laughs> or no, or very few people even had it to watch. So that is uh, obviously the, the biggest piece of news other than the, the realignment itself. And now I'm, I'm hearing maybe Apple is going to be their main um, 
uh, media media rights owner or whatever. I'm, I'm not really sure how that's going to play out, man. But I do think this is a chance maybe Oregon and Washington look at it from a standpoint of, okay, you know what? We know we're pretty much going to be in in this Pac-12. <laughs> no SC, no UCLA, no Utah. I mean, all of these teams maybe not being in this league, maybe our path to the playoff each and every year would be pretty easy. So you could look at it from that standpoint, despite not having the best TV deal or whatever. It's going to be interesting. And I think you have to watch schools like San Diego State in this situation. I think I wouldn't be surprised if the Big 12 went after San Diego State. Obviously, I think the Pac-12 must grab San Diego State. You, could, I mean, I think you've got to have some kind of presence in uh, Southern California. Even, even if it's not L.A., you need to have a presence somewhere down there. So I think the Pac-12 better try to scoop them up as fast as they possibly can. And I'll tell you what, I mean, look, no one, <laughs> no one's to blame in this whole thing more than the Pac-12. They laid this bed. They could have had Texas and Oklahoma 10, 12 years ago. They didn't do that. Uh, there were other instances where they could have scooped up some teams. They could have probably gotten BYU and matched them up with Utah. And there was a lot of things. Boise State could have been in the Pac-12 by now. Of course, they could still be. I mean, they can, you can still go and grab Boise State to, to replace a Colorado or San Diego State to replace Colorado or whatever. I'm not saying that you can't do that now, but you could have already had that stuff in place and we wouldn't be talking about this right now. Might even still have SC and UCLA. But anyway, they laid that bed. <laughs> so here we are. So anyway, it's going to be interesting to see how that all that turns out. And before I go to break, man, <laughs> my other piece of NBA that I wanted to talk about real quick. This whole thing, I mean, Jeff T, the, the former point guard with the Hawks, uh, the Timberwolves, more prom, you know, more prominently, uh, long time with the Hawks that I can remember. I can't remember if he played anywhere else, but he's been running his mouth a little bit lately. He's been on a couple podcasts and all that, <laughs> and he's on there saying on one of these podcasts saying that, um, basically comparing. Dwayne Wade and James Harden. And a lot of people have been talking about this, so I figured I must weigh in. Obviously, I'm a Houston Rockets fan. I've talked a lot about James Harden, both good and bad, so I figured, you know what? (laughs) I should definitely weigh in on this topic. And for me, man, look, I can understand where he's coming from to a degree if you're saying, like, I would say there are different. There are a couple of aspects of James Harden's game that are better than Dwayne Wade. Okay, I think James Harden's a better perimeter shooter. I think that obviously you sit there and you are looking for a guy to run your offense. Now I'm not saying Dwayne Wade could not be a facilitator here and there. He averaged. I went back and looked at some of his stats. I mean, he averaged six assists. I know in one in the playoff run that they. Uh, one where they won the championship in 2006. So he can be that when you wanted to, but Dwayne Wade's not that guy that you're just going to run your offense through necessarily, right? Okay, James Harden can be that guy. Okay, so I'll give James Harden the advantage in those two spots. That doesn't mean James Harden's an overall better player than Dwayne Wade. <laughs> there's defense. There's, you know, 
the clutch, I mean, look, Harden hit some clutch shots, don't get me wrong, but I think we'd all agree that Dwayne Wade was probably a better player in the clutch. And the other thing that, that <laughs> Jeff T brought up is like, okay, well, if Shaq, if he had, or, or Dwayne Wade had the help of Shaq and he had the help of LeBron to win the titles that he won. Okay, and, and, which is true. I mean, however, man, I got, I mean, obviously I got pushed back on that. And then, of course, there were some Houston Rockets fans who really have not been able to let that, let let go of James Harden. Oh, they had to weigh in and say, oh, well, of course, how many championships would James Harden have won if he had played with Shaq or LeBron? Because I, I think in a lot of ways, some people uh, give Dwayne Wade the advantage over James Harden because of the titles. Now, for me, I, I, I think that has a little to do with it, but I'm going to pick Dwayne Wade regardless. Okay, but <laughs> I mean, this is the thing that I kind of thought about, man. Okay, this guy Jeff T brings up Shaq. Okay, I'll give him LeBron James, especially with that Miami Heat team. You had LeBron and you had Chris Bosh. Okay, I'll give him that. But this Shaq thing, I, I got to push back on that one, man. I'm sorry. Okay, Shaq was in like his 14th season at that point. <laughs> I mean, okay. I mean, we're not talking about prime Shaq. Again, with Kobe Bryant, where they won the three titles and all of that, he was a few years removed from that. All right, so he was—he wasn't over the hill, but he was getting there at that point. Dwayne Wade was clearly the best player on that team. He averaged 28 points a game in the playoffs in that run. I, you know, I kind of thought Shaq was probably averaging around 17, 18 points and maybe 8, 9, 10 rebounds in that season. He averaged, actually in the regular season, he averaged 20 points. I went back and looked at it, around 10 rebounds or whatever. In the playoffs, he averaged 18 points, so I wasn't too far off on that. I mean, James Harden, Jeff T makes it seem like James Harden didn't have anybody to play with. He had no one. I mean, Dwight Howard played with James Harden, okay? And they made a run in 2015 to the Western Conference Finals. I mean, I could kind of equate Dwight Howard at that time in his career with Shaq to a degree. i say it's pretty close. Obviously, 2018 through 2019, Harden had Chris Paul, he had Trevor Reza. I mean, it's not necessarily a big three, but to say <laughs> James Harden didn't have guys to play with to me uh, I, I just cannot drive with that I really can't and I, and I think that's the excuse that you know everyone wants to give James Hart and I'm just frankly not buying it so I mean to me it comes down to this right here let's bring it to this year's terms <laughs> James Harden playing with the Philadelphia 76ers they can't get it done. They can't get past Boston. And Boston really tried their best to give the Sixers this series. Let's be real about it. Right? They tried their best. <laughs> but they couldn't do it. They couldn't pull it off. I guarantee you, if I put Dwayne Wade on that team with Joel Embiid and Tobias Harris and Tyrese Maxey and all those guys, Philadelphia 76ers would have won that NBA playoff series and probably gone to the NBA Finals. Yeah. And again, I'm talking about Wade at 
32, 33 years old that I'm talking about. I was stand behind that one. <laughs> anyway, I had to throw that in there, man. I'm going to take a quick break right now. And, uh, well, no, we'll just go with the break. We'll just go right into one of my favorite segments here on my show, Ball About the South. Let's go around the SEC. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Let's get into it. And we're going to go in this episode of Around the SEC. We're going to kind of look back at SEC media days, which went down last week. Obviously, a lot of coach speak, a lot of chatter about the upcoming season. And, of course, you know, when you sit there, even though, yeah, the Georgia Bulldogs are right now the king of the hill in the SEC and, of course, around the nation, as they have uh, repeated as national champions, they've gone back-to-back and will try to three-peat this coming season. Uh, Still, you have to sit here and talk about the one and only Nick Saban, Uh, probably the best that's ever done it uh, in the college game anyway. So, uh, so. Obviously, there are a lot of questions surrounding this Alabama football team, notably quarterback. But, you know, let's go back a little bit to last season. And I'm going to play. Actually, I have a few clips from a few of the coaches here in the SEC. We're going to start off with this clip from Nick Saban and him talking about what he feels kind of was the issue last season as Alabama did not quite meet expectations expectations for last year's team probably because of Bryce Young and the great player that he was and uh, I think sometimes when you have a team that has a couple great players maybe the other people don't take the responsibility and accountability to do their part as well because they're thinking these guys are going to carry us or whatever so I don't know that I know the players wanted to win because we had a lot of anxiety in critical moments in critical games and made a lot of mental errors that cost us games in the two games that we lost on the last play of the game. And we did have more close games than we've ever had before. Um, And I I think that that shows you that there's more good teams, Mm -hmm. you know, that we played. Uh, And I think that's going to continue in the future. Yeah, so there it is in a nutshell. Um... I think he covered quite a bit in that, you know, not quite a, you know, that clip was not quite a minute long, but I think he covered quite a bit. And, and, you know, I think all of the reasons that he pointed out for Alabama losing two games last season and not meeting expectations because Alabama was everybody's number one team in the country. You know, you hear uh, people talk about, well, you know, they had the best player. Bryce Young, best offensive player, and then arguably the best defensive player in Will Anderson, and they weren't able to get it done. Uh, And I think what he says is true about sometimes players, I think, kind of look to players like that to kind of shoulder a lot of the load, and they don't really, sometimes they don't really take care of their part of it. Okay, you know, and, and you you got 22 players on the field, <laughs> 11 defense, 11 offense. It's not all about the star all the time. It's all about the team. 
And I think what he said was true, and I also definitely think what he said about anxiety. We saw it with all the penalties. I mean, you know, we, we, I think we always talk about whether a team is disciplined or not. And the, obviously that was probably the least disciplined Alabama team or the least disciplined Nick Saban coach team, period, that we've ever seen last season. But it kind of goes back a couple of seasons. Now, you sit there and you look back at the 2019 team, which I think was another team. They didn't, they weren't penalized as much as last season's team, but key penalties at key times in the game, key turnovers, not being able to get stops when they had to get them, plagued this team. And I think what he said is absolutely true. And I think when you have a lot of expectations that come along with being, <laughs> hey, you, you want to be at Alabama. You want to be recruited by Alabama. You want to sign that dotted line and come to Tuscaloosa and play for the University of Alabama. You have to sit there and know how to deal with that anxiety because it's going to be there. And that team last season did not do it very well. So I think he's I think he's spot on on a lot of that. So, but what about this cake that I'm talking about? Let's get into that. And <laughs> Nick Saban, by the way, Nick Saban pointed out in the uh, media access or whatever that carrot cake <laughs> was his favorite kind of cake. It was his favorite flavor or whatever. But that's not the cake that I'm talking about right here. This is the cake that I'm talking about. Um, we had a great quarterback, won the Heisman Trophy. Bryce did a fantastic job for us. So we have three guys that are competing for that position right now. Uh, all those players are getting better, and it's important for us that all those players get better. I don't think anybody has actually separated themselves yet to this point, and I don't think it's something that we're trying to rush. Uh, I used the analogy earlier, you know, Grandma Saban used to bake the best cakes in the world. And I used to stand by the oven when I was a kid and say, when's this cake going to be done? When's this cake going to be done? And she said, if I don't let it go through and take it out of the oven too soon, it's going to turn to mush, so it won't be a really good cake. So I think we got to let this sort of develop. Uh, and make sure we let the cake bake until somebody separates themselves and all the players are working hard. They all have a... I think that was a very good analogy right there by Nick Saban. Um, All of us have have, have grandmothers that, you know, do a lot of baking, whether it's baking a cake, baking cookies or whatever. He talked about (laughs) Grandma Saban (laughs) right there, right? Uh, I don't know a grandmother that can't bake or can't really really cook or whatever right and uh so i thought that was a really good analogy because you know we i can sit there see myself as a kid waiting on my grandmother to finish breaking a cake uh both my grandmothers actually and i was you know fortunate enough to see my grand both my grandmothers and know them very well for a long time uh both of them have gone on to be with the lord now but a lot of people don't get that opportunity to see their grandmothers as late as I did or whatever. But uh, you sit there and you see them baking a cake. And probably the best part, you know, them baking a the cake for me was, you know, getting a lick of the batter. <laughs> the batter was better than the cake <laughs> in a lot of cases, right? We can't do that with this quarterback battle that's going on in Tuscaloosa. And that's that's what Nick Saban was referring to 
with the cake thing, um, it's it's gonna take a little bit of time. Now, for me, look, man, I, I'm I've been in the Jalen Milrow camp from day one because you know I, I, the thing that I sit here and continue to that, that just baffles me, man. I'm I'm just sitting there like I I just don't understand it. Is how he's so harshly criticized for really six, maybe six and a half quarters of meaningful football. And that's the key word here, meaningful. I mean, we've seen Jalen Milrow come in at garbage time in several games, right? But we've only seen him in six, maybe six and a half quarters of meaningful football. I think Bryce Young went out of that Arkansas game somewhere in the middle of the mid, middle part of the second quarter, if I'm not mistaken. So and, and he played. So he played the remaining uh, the remainder of that game, and then of course he played the very next week against Texas A&M. Talking about Jalen Milrow. Okay, it's, and all of a sudden, well, you know, wow, this guy was a four-star quarterback coming out of Texas, four stars. Quarterback. He wasn't a running back. He that you know. Uh, could could be a quarterback if he wanted to, or something, or whatever, or that changed to the, the quarterback position. He wasn't labeled athlete; he was labeled quarterback, <laughs> right? You don't get that, and you can't throw the ball to a, at least to a degree. This dude has a, a cannon of an arm on him. First of all, now he may not be the most accurate out there, but he has an absolute cannon. Okay, and look, we've only seen this dude in six quarters. The Arkansas game, you really didn't need to throw the football that much. Okay, so then you fast forward to the Texas A&M game. Texas A&M, man, look, you can say we can sit here and criticize Jimbo's offense left and right, up and down from last season, last couple seasons. You couldn't criticize that defense. That defense from Texas A&M was one of the best in the maybe the best in the SEC, and if you're the best in the SEC, you're one of the best in the country, or maybe the best in the country. That's how good that A&M defense was last season. You should so go back and look at the stats. <laughs> so he had those three uh, turnovers in that game, but Alabama ended up you know winning the game. Well, we knew how that game went down. Texas A&M had the ball there on the goal line, last play of the game. They were unable to get into the end zone. Alabama won the game 24-20. Again, it was a rough performance in a lot of ways, but you also saw glimpses of where Jalen Miro could be a really good quarterback as well. And again, it came against maybe the best defense in the SEC. So I, I just, I'm not really understanding the criticism for Jalen Miro. I mean, we've only seen him play six quarters of meaningful football. It just kind of baffles me. Uh, but again, me as an Alabama fan, look, I, I'm, I'm, I want the cake to be nice and done. Okay, and and if when the cake is done, if if Ty Simpson is the guy, then so be it. That's all well and good. Because I, you know, I trusted Nick Saban. I trust the new offensive coordinator Tommy Reese. I trust that they're going to make the right decision. 
So we'll just have to see how that goes. But I, I, it just doesn't make any sense to me, the criticism or at least the level of criticism that we're hearing about Jalen Milrow. And you sit there, Alabama has a you know, nice legacy with, with Jalen's right now. And in, in a lot of ways, Jalen Milrow kind of reminds me of that other Jalen that played in the Super Bowl just a few months ago. That <laughs> the way the, the same Jalen where Alabama won a national championship and went to two other national championship games with that Jalen Hurts on the roster. <laughs> okay, so Alabama and then of course then then of course there's Jalen Waddle. So Alabama has a nice little history with Jalen Jalen's uh, here in the last several years. And I don't see any reason why Jalen Milrow can't add to that legacy. I really don't. I think, you know, you sit there and you think about his athleticism, his ability to run at the quarterback position. Even if Ty Simpson is the starter, and I know Nick Saban's probably not big on playing two quarterbacks. For me, I think you kind of got to get Jalen Milrow on the field here and there, even if Ty Simpson does become the starter this season. That his athletic ability is is just unreal, and uh, I, I think in some cases this dude may be even more athletic than Jalen Hurts to a degree. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm serious when I say that. I'm, I'm not saying. I think it's very close. You sit there and you look at how Jalen Miro. This dude looks like a linebacker <laughs> playing quarterback. It's unreal. So, but we'll see how that goes. But that's the cake that Nick Saban's talking about. He's a, you know, and he's not gonna put it out there. You know, I think there were some people that were kind of disappointed that we didn't hear more about where the quarterback race was, or you know, the, the status of that quarterback race there. You know, while they were in media days, and I'm like, did you really expect <laughs> Nick Saban <laughs> to really divulge that information? He's not gonna divulge that information while they're in camp. We're not. You're not gonna know a thing. Until, I mean, at least as far, you may, I'm sure he'll update on, you know, okay, this quarterback did this in, in the scrimmage or this quarterback did this in practice or whatever. I'm sure we'll hear some of that. But you're not going to hear who the starter is until at least game week when Alabama gets ready to play game one this coming fall. I just, that's just the way I see it. And that's the way I thought it's gonna, it was going to be from day one. So. Of course, while Alabama was able to win those games, uh, both those games, Western Division games last season, Arkansas and Texas A&M with Jalen Milrow leading the way, there was there was one game that Alabama did not win inside the SEC West Division. And that, that game was against the LSU Tigers. Now, you sit there and you look at this LSU team coming up from last season. Obviously, no one expected them to make the jump that they did under head coach Brian Kelly. We all heard all of the jokes and all of the <laughs> everything going around, going on surrounding the hire of Brian Kelly there in, in Baton Rouge. And boy, it was a lot of folks shut up. That's all I can say. <laughs> Brian Kelly shut a lot of people up in the SEC uh, in his very first season. Of course, now, soon as LSU loses a game that they're not supposed to or they lose, you know, they have a season where they're 
below expectations than everyone else. Everyone that said that they were correct about Brian Kelly is going to come see and come and say, well, you know what? I told you so. I told you he was. <laughs> I told you he was trash as a coach coming out of Notre Dame or whatever. But um, again, you look. You know, you didn't hear that here. I, I was one that was huge on this hire by LSU, and he came. It is so far coming to fruition, in my opinion. Um, but what about? Take two, man. What about season two in Baton Rouge with, with uh, Brian Kelly? Obviously, you sit there and you look at this football team, man. There's a lot of reasons why you should absolutely pick them to win to win the SEC West. It just point blank is, and it starts with number five, Jaden Daniels, the quarterback who came on the scene last season after transferring. I think it was from Arizona State. Uh, did a magnificent job leading that football team, getting them to the SEC championship game, uh, using his skills with his feet, throwing the football as well. They're in good hands. So, and I think if you sit there and you look at that, just from that standpoint, there's a lot of reasons to favor LSU in the SEC West and, uh, and then, of course, you know, not just offensively, I mean, what about defense? I mean, this dude, Harold Perkins, I mean, really? <laughs> I mean, really? Is there a better defensive player in the country? So now, so does some of that kind of shift? You know, just like, I, you know, a lot of people talked about last season, Alabama, Bryce Young, Will Anderson, best, you know, so you got the best offensive player, at least, you know, arguably, arguably the best offensive player, arguably the best defensive player and you were unable to get it done last season. Could it be the same thing at LSU? Because even if you sit there and you look at Georgia, Georgia's got a quarterback thing going on themselves. Georgia lose, you know, they lost quite a bit again defensively. Right? So you sit there, you go back to Jaden Daniels and Harold Perkins. Are, are we talking about the top offensive player and the top defensive player being on the same team? Quite possibly, we are. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's just it's really just that simple. So it's going to be interesting to see what where Brian Kelly is able to take this program here in season two. But here are a few thoughts from Brian Kelly on. You know, again, we just mentioned Alabama and Georgia. Can LSU take that next step in the SEC? Yeah, I was asked that question earlier. Um, look, Alabama and Georgia are the benchmark for what we're looking for. And, and what is that in particular? It's consistency and performance year in, year out. We did it one time. So we're not in that conversation at this point. So um, what we're hoping that it catapults us to is a more consistent football program that is competing for championships year in and year out. We don't want any dips in our programs at all. Um, and, and I think when, when you look at it from a tangible standpoint, what it did for us is it helps us in recruiting that we don't have to paint 
a narrative that, that's not true. In other words, that we can say, look, we're going to compete with Alabama. Um, we're, we're going to be able to beat Alabama. It's not a fantasy. It's a reality. And so there is some tangible evidence there that you can use in recruiting. But the rest of it is really about it giving you momentum for consistency and performance. Consistency. That's the key word right there. What Brian Kelly was saying, they were able to get the victory over Alabama. And he talked about how that more than likely, and I'm sure it helps them on that recruiting trail, but you've got to be able to be consistent with it. And uh, again, I, you know, I definitely agree about him. I definitely agree with him on that. You have to show that consistency. I'm not sure that I agree with him that LSU is not looked at to be where Georgia and Alabama are right now. Because again, just, just what I mentioned, man, they have the best, quarterback um, you sit there and you look at it Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback coming back in the SEC I don't think there's any question about that and then you're talking about a guy like Harold Perkins this dude the edge rusher that just caused havoc to so many teams last season and you look at it that way and, 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 and those are just two players I mean there's just plenty of talent in between on both sides of the football as well so uh, I, I understand where Kelly is coming from on that, but I think there are going to be a lot of expectations for this LSU team, despite the fact that Alabama again was picked to win the SEC West. I think there were a lot, a lot of people that either if they didn't pick LSU, they thought about picking LSU. You, you're listening right now to, you know, I'm an Alabama fan, but you're listening to a guy right now that's sitting here thinking, man, Alabama or LSU coming up this season in the SEC West. I mean, I'm not really sure. You know, the one thing I give Alabama a lot of credit for, not credit, but I give it, and, you know, I think where Alabama has an advantage is they play they play LSU in Tuscaloosa this season. But other than that, <laughs> uh, I don't know if there's a lot of reasons that I wouldn't pick LSU. So, Again, I, I think the expectations are a lot higher than what Brian Kelly may think that they are there in Baton Rouge. I think there are two other very interesting teams in the SEC West. Ole Miss is one of those teams. Lane Kiffin, uh, you sit there, he's got one of the best running backs in the league, maybe the best running back in the league, Quinshawn Judkins. I mean, this dude is flat out electrifying. I mean, he is flat-out electrifying. Let's just be real about it. I'm still trying to figure out how he got out of the state of Alabama. <laughs> I mean, obviously, Alabama has lots of running backs. Auburn as well. Auburn has a good uh, has kept a, a good stable of running backs for years and years. We all know that. But, man, this dude made his way to uh, Oxford, Mississippi, and uh, uh, Lane Kiffin has a really, really good one there. They've got a little bit of a quarterback battle going on. You got Jackson Dart, Spencer Sanders, do transfer out of Oklahoma State. I mean, this is going to be, I think, an interesting um, <laughs> quarterback battle right down to the wire. A lot of people are kind of starting to favor Spencer Sanders in that race. But, you know, a lot of people aren't really talking about Ole Miss's QB battle right now. Everybody, everybody's talking about Alabama. And then, of course, there are a lot of people talking about what's going on in Georgia and trying to 
replace Stetson Bennett or whatever, but no one is talking about this old Miss battle. But I'm telling you both, I don't think it's going to really matter which route they go. I think they're going to be in pretty good hands either way. And that old Miss offense is going to rock and roll. I mean, again, like I said, Juckins is maybe the best running back in the SEC. There's a lot of competition, don't get me wrong. And one of the best running backs in the country. But uh, so we'll see how that thing goes. But this is an old Miss offense that I think can really rock and roll. Now, defense, totally different story. We know about that. <laughs> I mean, the defense is uh, Swiss cheese. You, well, you come up with it, whatever, you know, there are plenty of holes in it, no question about it. You come up with whatever reference you or analogy or whatever you want to say to describe them. But, uh, yeah, that's that's going to be the issue with this football team. But as far as putting points on the board, I don't think that's going to be an issue. Uh, but, you know, so obviously Lane Kiffin, they're at media days uh, there again and uh, – I don't know, man. He was kind of like, mm, like, like he had just woke up. <laughs> like he was, you know, he had just woke up and he was late. He had to, to rush everything to get there on time. And this was like, okay, yeah, all right, I'm here. I really wish I had another couple of hours sleep, but I, okay, what you, what you want to ask me? You know, that's kind of what he looked like last week there at SEC Media Days. But, you know, he did come up. As he usually does, he came up with one of the funnier lines at SEC Media Days. <laughs> Here it is. Ownership limitations, where some of those older coaches didn't have them, and they could. I mean, what, what if Nick Saban didn't have an 85-year-old? What would his roster look like if he had 150 scholarships to give? And also, he's done what I don't think anybody did over time of do it continually with so much staff turnover. You know, so many, so many people are hired off of his staff. Other places are to be head coaches. And, you know, it's kind of like, man, all these first-round picks, and he loses these coordinators. Like, you know, that's why we have Feinbaum, so he can motivate him every other year and say, oh, his dynasty's over, and, and, you know, this is the end of Saban. And then we're like, hey, thanks a lot for pissing him off. Um, and Paul's always wrong on this subject, so um, – and he just did it again the other day, you know. If he doesn't make the playoffs, you know, is you know he's not any good as a coach. So thanks, thanks, Paul. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, Lane Kiffin always comes up with a goodie here and there, but I mean, yeah, I don't know if you heard those comments from Paul Feinbaum a, a week or so ago, but he was sitting there talking about Nick Saban's legacy could be on the line if Alabama doesn't make the playoffs. Or, it, well, let me put it this way. His his legacy would be tarnished a little bit if Alabama does not make the playoff this season. And Georgia, I guess, I guess he means Georgia would, would go ahead and win another national championship, meaning that would be their three-peat or whatever. <laughs> I mean, look, man, I mean, I, I, I would acknowledge that, I, you know, that Nick Saban probably has lost a little bit of a step I mean, as far as, you know, there's something a little bit different about him, I would say that. Uh, do I think it's enough where he can't lead this team to a national championship or whatever? I would definitely not say that. Um, but to sit here and think, okay, that 
Georgia winning his third title in a row would, would tarnish Nick Saban's record some kind of way. Is to me, it was just crazy. I I don't understand where Feinbaum came up with that. He's always going to come up with this kind of talk before the season. He's always going to come down with something negative on Nick Saban for the most part. I, I, I don't understand it. Now, truth be told, obviously, if Kirby Smart pulls this off, that's something Nick Saban has not done. And he did, and he would have done it within the SEC. I get that part, because that's what Feinbaum mentioned, that the guy in the league, in the SEC, that is, when his third national championship, that that would tarnish Nick Saban just a little bit or whatever. Obviously, Nick Saban has never three-peated. Okay, so uh, Kirby would definitely have have a, you know, be one up on him on that. There's no question about that. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, he still has seven national titles. Obviously, Kirby is just, what, 50 years old, if he's 50. I guess maybe 50, 51, 52, somewhere in that range. So Kirby's going to be around a lot, a while. And he definitely has a shot if he keeps up at this pace to get to around seven titles like Nick Saban has. He he has a shot at it. There's no question about that. But to sit here and say, at least right now today, that this tarnishes Nick Saban's, um, what, you know, what he's done so far to me was kind of crazy. And then you sit there and look at it. Where did Kirby Smart coach last before he went to Georgia? <laughs> I mean, he coached under Nick Saban at Alabama and won two national championships. Doesn't that, you know, doesn't it kind of lift up Nick Saban's <laughs> legacy, knowing that a coach is one, one of his, you know, assistants or whatever has won three national titles? <laughs> So I don't know what Paul Feinbaum is talking about, man. But yeah, Lane Kiffin definitely pointed that out the other day. And um, again, I think Ole Miss is going to be a really interesting case in the SEC West. I, also there in the state of Mississippi, I think Mississippi State will be as well. I think a lot of people could be sleeping on Mississippi State. You're going to uh, see a lot of changes with the offense there, of course, um, after, you know, Mike Leach unfortunately passed last year and all of that they'll make changes they won't be the, the full air raid offense like they have been uh, looking forward to that and I mentioned Jaden Daniels being the best quarterback in the SEC and I really still believe that is possibly the case I really do I, I think that's he if he's not the best he's right up there but I don't mean to sit there and forget about guys like KJ Jefferson at Arkansas who uh, went down to injury toward the end of the last season. So he's back there with the Hogs. You do have you know, Milton there at Tennessee. Uh, you know, so look, I'm not saying that Jaden Daniels is like, <laughs> uh, you know, he's, I'm not saying he's just head and shoulders over everybody, but I do believe of the contenders, I do think he is the best quarterback coming back in the SEC. Anyway, man, I've uh, done a lot of SEC West right there. Take a quick break. We're going to do a little bit more SEC West. We're going to talk about Jimbo Fisher for a couple minutes. You know I'm good at that. <laughs> and then we're going to shift it to the East for at least just a little bit. Not as long to talk as on, on in the West because obviously not a whole lot to talk about in the East as far as like the contenders, man. You know, you got Kirby, you got Josh Heupel. 
Um, obviously, Kentucky is going to be, I think, a better football team this season. We'll talk about those teams when Ball About the South continues. All right, y'all, we're back in. Ball About the South continues, and we'll continue on with my around the SEC segment here. Uh, we've talked a lot about Alabama, obviously, Nick Saban and all of that, the quarterback battle there. We'll talk some LSU, Brian Kelly. Uh, I think those two teams are definitely head and shoulders above the rest. I think the two Mississippi schools, Ole Miss and Mississippi State, will probably fall in behind them in the SEC West. Just you know, this is my early look here. But uh, like I said, we've talked a lot of Alabama. That's one side of the state. And you got to go to the other side of the state, too. And we got to talk some Auburn Tigers, man. And uh, a lot of changes occurring there. And a lot of people talking about Auburn because they're not really sure what to expect. Uh, obviously, head coach change there, going from Brian Harson to uh, Hugh Freeze. Hugh Freeze, obviously no stranger to the SEC. Coach there at Ole Miss did some really good things there, but then, of course, did some really bad things and had to leave. <laughs> and uh, he ended up with, uh, moving, going, I think it seemed like he went somewhere else before he ended up at Liberty. I want to say, I'm not sure, I don't know if it was high school, I can't remember exactly what it was, but anyway, he ends up at Liberty, uh, does very well there, which is no surprise, uh, look, the dude can coach, I mean, that's just, that's just point blank simple, and if you don't, if you don't think Hugh Freeze can coach the game of football, I'm not really sure what game of football you're watching, um, and now, it, it, it gets really interesting now with, with a situation like Auburn, especially this season coming off uh, the last season of Brian Harson, we, we had such a quarterback uh, battle there. Robbie Ashford, the kid out of Hoover, won that job there uh, kind of early in the season or whatever and never really relinquished it after that. We all know Robbie Ashford is really uh, – uh, more of a running style quarterback. Obviously, he has, he has a lot of speed. I mean, this dude is electric when he's out in the open field and uh, running that offense the way he possibly the way he can. I mean, he's a better passer than a lot of people give him credit for as well. But <laughs> and you know, and I think in a lot of ways he would fit what Hugh Freeze wants to do. But then again, I say that. But you, you sit there and you look at the history of Hugh Freeze's quarterbacks there at Ole Miss. Uh, some of them fit what Robbie Ashford did and some of them don't. Okay, so they go out and they get a quarterback. They go out and get Peyton Thor from Michigan State. And that's going to be an interesting look. Uh, a lot of people expect him to win the job. I'm not sure if I, you know, that's the case. I mean, and, and really when you, you listen to this clip from Hugh Freeze, I'm not sure if he's going to really <laughs> uh, make that any clearer either. I, I, I really think that this is going to be a little bit of a battle. And, and if, you know, Peyton Thor may be the, the guy. He just, you know, it's hard to see a guy transferring from a, a P5 school like Michigan State is to come to Auburn to sit on the bench. But that may be what he have to do for a while. I'm not really sure. I'm, I'm not really sure that it's point blank that 
Thor is going to be the uh, quarterback. But anyway, here's Hugh Freeze talking about that quarterback battle there at Auburn. Wisdom uh, to help us game plan, but Philip will be the, you know, he's he's going to be the play caller, and, and unless I want to step in and and uh, and change that in the course of a game, which that 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 happens all the time. All right, quarterback wise, that's going to be a challenge for us. Um, not not because I, I'm very truthfully a lot more optimistic than most people are. Um, I think we've got a good room, um, but I'm an optimist. And we've 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 been able to do things with uh, quarterbacks everywhere we've been, and produce good enough results to win. And I thought spring practice we got better there. Obviously, we want to create competition in that room. That's why we brought in Peyton, who's had um, great experiences. I think what he adds to that room right now is an incredible leadership. One of the first things he did is come in and say, "Coach, is there any way someone can give me a?" Um, a sheet of paper that has a picture of everyone that works in this building because I want to learn everyone's name. I mean, that's the type of leader he is. Um, but it's going to create great competition between he, Robbie, and Holden. And Yeah, so that that's not a lot of clarity for me of what's actually going on there. I think he definitely, if you hear him talk, he feels good about his QB room, and I can understand that. But um, I don't think that that, really is telling you who's going to be the quarterback. It's going to be another quarterback battle there. Uh, there are a lot of quarterback battles in this SEC as we get ready for the season, but uh, just looking at Peyton Thorne, who came, you know, again, come from Michigan State, had a really good 2021 season. Now, that was the season where Michigan State uh, really did well there and uh, ended up in the Peach Bowl. Uh, they lost a couple games, I think, there toward the end of the season. And uh, were you know, you know kind of played themselves out of the playoff or whatever. But Peyton Thorne had his best season there. He played three seasons there at Michigan State. He had three thousand. Uh, let's see, I just had three thousand two hundred thirty-three yards, sixty percent uh, completion rate with ten interceptions in that two thousand twenty-one season. He also set a school record with twenty-seven touchdown passes. But last year, it kind of had a drop off. And, uh, and he went down like 2,600 yards. So, you know, passing and everything. So his, his stats dropped off a lot. And uh, he went, came back, went through spring practice, but then decided to move on to Auburn. You know, so he, he'd hit the portal or whatever. So I'm not really sure if he had basically lost the job to these. Uh, there are two guys, I think, that are battling for that Michigan State job for this coming season. So, anyway, uh, Peyton Thorne, I think, has some ability. And he kind of, from what I've seen, he kind of fits what uh, Hugh Freeze looks for as well. I mean, you look at guys like Bo Wallace that played at Ole Miss. Uh, that's a name. Uh, you know, there some people probably would remember. Um, yeah, he, I think it kind of fit that kind of mold. Uh, we'll see though. We'll see how that goes. Obviously, uh, I think Auburn's running back room is going to be really good. I mean, again, we I just talked about that a few minutes ago about Auburn's going to keep good running backs. I mean, that's just <laughs> that's just the way it goes. And uh, Jarquez Hunter is a junior now. Uh, we've been watching him as as he came in as a freshman, and he's got some guys behind him. I don't think you worry about Auburn's running back room at all. 
Yeah, that's just the way it goes. You know, wide receivers, we'll see what they have going on there. But uh, again, it's Hugh Freeze, though. I mean, this dude knows how to dial up offense. Uh, you know, he that that's just point blank how he does it. I don't know how much he's going to be able to get done year one. And then I say maybe even early in the season, uh, you know, it could be a struggle here and there if they kind of get everything situated. But toward the end of the season, it would not surprise me if Auburn looks a lot better than they start off the season at. So, uh, you know, again, this, this is be a very interesting situation, I think, there at Auburn. It would not surprise me. And again, they have 17 starters returning uh, from the team last season. So they, they could be a team that surprises here and uh, uh, makes a bowl game. And who knows, they, they may be somebody they're not supposed to beat sometime later in the season. Anyway, man, we'll kind of switch this thing to the East for a few minutes, man. And uh, obviously, we're going to switch to the SEC East. <laughs> you got to talk about the Georgia Bulldogs. Now, that's one team that uh, Auburn has on their schedule. I don't think Georgia's going to be one of those teams that Auburn beats, but you know, we'll see how it goes. That game is in Auburn, so we'll, we'll see. But um, the Georgia Bulldogs obviously – at the top of the hill, there you know this team has just been incredible the last two seasons. Uh, they go undefeated last year, 15 and 0. Obviously, they um, they lost. They did not win the SEC championship the year before that, and they lost to Alabama. But they came back and beat Alabama in the national championship game. Uh, Kirby Smart has that thing rolling in Athens, Georgia. Let's just be real about it. And he has a lot returning, even though Stetson Bennett is not returning, which is, you know could be uh, a little bit of an interesting situation as Carson Beck, a sophomore, takes over there. We would assume it's going to be him. Uh, he'll take over the reins there at the quarterback position, and we'll see how they are going forward. I mean, he has obviously really good weapons, so it's not like he's going to have to sit there and do a whole lot uh, Brock Bowers may be the best tight end we've seen in a long time, not only in the SEC, but maybe in the country. This dude is <laughs> ridiculous. They line him up everywhere. And he does everything uh, you know, for that offense. There's no question about that. And then you sit there and you look at some of the other players that they have offensively. This team, uh, again, they're, they're, they're not the most explosive offensive team. And I think in a lot of ways, that may be what Nick, Nick Saban may have been looking at that more than anything else at Kirby Smart's football team and saying, okay, yeah, we went out and, you know, speaking of Alabama, we went out and we got more explosive, and that definitely helped us win a couple of national titles. But ultimately, it may have gotten us to a point, especially with Bryce Young, where they, Alabama threw the ball so much, where they kind of got out of tune of what Alabama football really was under Nick Saban when he first got here. And that was pounding the football, running the football really well, running it when they had to run it, and running it when the other team knew they were going to run it and things of that nature. The physical nature of the football team seems to be a little bit different. And Georgia has not lost that, and they were still able to win these two national titles. So, um, it's really interesting how Kirby Smart has been able to do that because, again, I mean, look, Stetson Bennett has stepped, he stepped up when he had to do it. A lot of people 
still talk down on Stetson Bennett. But he was a walk-on there at Georgia. He won that job, and he absolutely did what he had to do. I, I have the utmost respect for that dude. And I just don't understand why some other people still kind of talk down on him a little bit. But, you know, going forward, man, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be interesting. This is going to be an interesting season, though, for Georgia. They, they lost quite a bit again on both sides of the football, I would say. Uh, you know, notably guys like Jalen Carter, who went on to the NFL, who's a top 10 pick and all of that. Mr. Uh, Kirby Smart talk about his defense because, man, obviously defensively, uh, Georgia was unbelievable the year before last. And they, you know, kind of took a little bit of a step back last season, but were still really, really good. And they were obviously dominant in that TCU National Championship game. Listen to Kirby Smart talk about his concerns about this season's Georgia defense. Like what you did. Um, I think outside of that, it's going to be a lot of the same things that always come up. Can we not give up explosive plays on defense, but yet still affect the quarterback? You know, we lost some guys in Nolan and Jalen that really affected the quarterback. That's one of my major concerns is can we get to the quarterback? Do we have elite pass rushers, or do we have to create it another kind of way um, and reinvent yourself? We got good defensive players, but I don't know if we got the guys on the edge and interior that we've had in the past. Interesting comments there from Kirby Smart. Uh, questioning whether he has the uh, guys that can generate pass rush or whatever and not have to, you know, I guess basically generate pass rush from that, that front instead of having to, you know, scheme up something or, you know, or whatever to get pass rush. Very interesting. And uh, that's something to watch, I would say, going into the season with the Georgia Bulldogs football team. But, um, I mean, really seriously, I, I don't expect it to be a, too much of an issue. And then, then one part, one thing about it, uh, <laughs> it's not like Georgia's playing a gauntlet of a schedule. I mean, this, yeah, this is one of the easiest schedules I think I've ever seen, especially from an out-of-conference standpoint. I mean, seriously, you sit there and look at Georgia's schedule right now. UAB. And, you know, look, I'm mean, sitting here in Birmingham, Alabama, UAB fan, and we're going to talk some more American conference football as we go forward. Uh, looking forward to that as well as UAB goes into that new league. UAB is the toughest out-of-conference game Georgia has. <laughs> I mean, and UAB has seven starters returning off of last season's team. Which will and a brand new head coach in Trent Dilford, and we're gonna again we're gonna talk um, about them a lot here going forward. <laughs> I mean, I, I, this it is it's crazy. Now, you know, Georgia has I think if I'm not mistaken, they have Clemson coming on their schedule next season, and of course we all know about uh, the SEC going with you know with Texas and Oklahoma coming in next season. I think Georgia goes to Texas, if I remember correctly, and I think they go to Alabama next year. So the schedule's going to uh, even itself out. But, man, UT Martin, Ball State, UAB. Well, I'm sorry. It, it, maybe Georgia Tech. You know I mean, I, I, right now I would say UAB is probably better than Georgia Tech, but, you know, 
Georgia, I forgot about Georgia Tech. I'm sorry. <laughs> but that is, I mean, that is, you know, UT Martin, Ball State, UAB, and Georgia Tech is Georgia's out of conference slate. Uh, definitely 4 0. And then you sit there and you look at uh, the rest of the schedule. Obviously, they have Florida, the cocktail party. They, I mean, seriously, man. I mean, they they go to Auburn September 30. Okay, I mean, anytime you go to Auburn, obviously, you know, you never know, right? Okay, so we'll give them that. But other than that, man, I I don't see a challenge for them until they go to Knoxville on November 18th. So that's one thing about it. This defense is not what Kirby wants it to be. We may not know it until they get to Tennessee. <laughs> anyway, so we'll see how that goes. I'm I'm not really buying that though. I mean I I think George will be just fine defensively. Uh also so he fielded a lot of questions about that and he fielded a lot of questions about the schedule. And there and there, and there were some questions about all of these speeding tickets. Uh, that this team, uh, the players on this team are, have generated or whatever. And obviously that's been a big topic since the Jalen Carter incident or whatever. So that's, I got some things going on in Georgia, but I think those Bulldogs will be just fine if we get into next season. I just kind of mentioned the Tennessee Volunteers. Josh Heupel going into season two. Uh, it's going to be very interesting to see how they and the, how they back up what they did last season, which was an incredible season, obviously beating Alabama. Uh, and then they end up going to the, uh, to the Orange Bowl. They beat Clemson. They beat up on them. Uh, so two really huge wins. They obviously could not get the Georgia game. They, they lost that game. Uh, what was the score in that game? We'll go back and look. Uh, it was 27-13. And... Uh, you know, obviously Tennessee, you know, that Hendon Hooker and that offense, Jalen Hyatt and all those receivers that they had, man, that offense was unreal. If they led the SEC, they led the country in offense, Josh Heupel, getting it done. But defensively, obviously, was their weakness. And, uh, you know, they gave up a lot of points, a lot of yards. But in that game against Georgia, they hung in there pretty good. So, you know, what's going to be year two? What's gonna, what, what is that going to look like with Josh Heupel leading the way? So it's a very quick turnaround with Josh Heupel. Uh, they have really uh, upped the ante there in Knoxville, and there are a lot of expectations for that football team. Josh Heupel talks about just how quickly they've turned things around in Knoxville. You know, I just started writing down some notes last night and, and uh, really started to reflect just on uh, the past two years and, and what has transpired uh, inside of our program at our university and, um, you know, where we've come in such a short amount of time. When I took over two years ago, there was so much uncertainty that surrounded our, our program in, uh, in late January. And because of the connection and uh, accountability and, and uh, love and trust that we've built inside of the building with our players and staff, we've been able to climb re- uh, re- relatively quickly. But uh, to go back to that time, um, you know, we're a program that entered that fall with only 65 scholarships. Uh, the uncertainty of an investigation that was taking place on our campus. Uh, I said uh, in a room just like this two years ago that it would be a speed bump uh, for the program, uh, our football program. And uh, a few days ago, we found out that that certainly was the case. Uh, 
Yeah, man. Uh, you hear Heupel talking about 65 scholarships when he got to, to Knoxville. Crazy. Crazy the transformation that has happened really quickly there under his watch there with the Big Orange. We'll see if they are able to continue that uh, uptrend. Um, you know, Milton, I think, is going to be a very capable quarterback. I don't know if he's going to get to the level of Hendon Hooker, man. I, you know, this dude, Hooker, last season and the year before that, and all was just unreal. I don't know if he'll get to that level, but I think Milton will be plenty good enough to keep the Tennessee Volunteers uh, very relevant. And you sit there and you look at their schedule real quick. You know, they play Alabama and Tuscaloosa. And they play at Kentucky. Those are the two biggest games before they get to Georgia, in my opinion, on their schedule. And of course, they do have they have to go to Florida. And we have not talked about Florida. Um, you know, again, I, I think Florida's going to be in for another rocky season, I think, under Billy Napier. As he, can, he continues to kind of try to do what Josh Heupel is doing in Knoxville. It's going to be interesting to see if Napier is able to get it done there. Um, so, but I think, and you know, Missouri, you know, a lot of people are kind of thinking Missouri could have a little bit of, um, uh, you know, a chance to maybe pull off an upset or two under Eli Drinkwitz there in Missouri. But, you know, other than that, I, I don't see really, I think, you know, Tennessee should be good to go. Besides those two games, October 21 and October 28 at Alabama, at Kentucky, before they host Georgia on November 18. Uh, the Volunteers went 11-2 and two last season. They have 12 guys returning uh, as starters coming back from last season. So it should be an interesting season for them. And again, I mentioned Kentucky. I think Kentucky is a team you have to watch under Mark Stoops. Uh they have a, a transfer quarterback of their own in Devin Leary. Uh, Devin Leary, a lot of people are looking for uh, some big things out of this dude. Uh, he's transferring from NC State. And uh, he he could definitely uh, cause some issues, man. This, this Kentucky wide receiver core, I think, was very underrated last year. And look, Will Levis, who's moved on, obviously, to the Tennessee Titans, and Leary will be replacing him. That, that offensive line was horrible. And I've been, you know, talked about this in terms of, you know, what that means for Will Levis. I think, you know, because I you know, go back and look at Will Levis, uh, 2021, much better Will Levis than he was in 2022. And I think a lot of that had to do with that offensive line. The offensive line woes are a huge, were a huge issue. Let's just be real about it. So I think, you know, you sit there, you look at this wide receiver core. I think it's very underrated. I think Kentucky's going to be a team that you're going to have to watch. This is an offense that's returning 10 of those starters. <laughs> and that was a young offensive line. You got some young receiving core that has a year under their belt. And now you have a guy like Devin Leary who can get them the football. I think Kentucky, man, I'm telling you right now, they are going to be a team to watch. Uh, you know, obviously you have to look at South Carolina in the East as well. So, you know, but, uh, you know, as far as Tennessee goes, Tennessee hosts South Carolina, so you think they would be okay in that game. But I'm telling you, the Kentucky in the East could be an issue. Do not sleep on them. I'm not saying they're going to win the East or anything like that. 
But could they maybe beat Tennessee in that week? Especially, you know, hey, never know what comes what comes after that Alabama game. You know, we've seen, you know, teams coming off of big games like that. And you go out and play Kentucky. That's going to be an interesting stretch for the Tennessee Volunteers. So, uh, yeah, but anyway, we're going to get into previewing all of those, all of that a little bit more as we go here and uh, if we continue with this month and, and future episodes. And I'm definitely going to break down each, each of these teams and let you know who I feel is going to win the SEC East and the West and uh, meet there in Atlanta and, of course, ultimately win the SEC Championship and get to the uh, playoff and all of that. One figure in the SEC that I have not mentioned really <laughs> in this episode so far is Jimbo Fisher. And I think one of the more interesting uh you know, he, it's going to be a very interesting situation there in, in Aggieland. Uh, if you don't know, he is brought in Bobby Petrino. And I tell you, man, I laughed at it <laughs> when I first heard this announced. Bobby Petrino, and obviously, look, Bobby Petrino is, is, a, is an excellent offensive coach. There's no question about that. Yeah, you know, excellent. One of the best offensive minds we've seen in the modern era of football, college football. I don't think anybody would dispute that. But this whole thing, man, I, it, and that's why I left Texas A&M for last. Because I've come down hard on, on Jimbo Fisher, whether it be on the show, whether it be on social media, and I think rightfully so. Because a lot of people really put this guy to me kind of on a pedestal and you know and, and nothing ever seems to be his fault except, you know, of course now I think that's changing man, because he is he is if there's one coach and I don't think you sit there and you look around the SEC I don't think there are many coaches that are really on the hot seat in the SEC I really don't uh, I, I just don't think anyone is in, in a lot of danger because, of course, one for one, they have new coaches or whatever. You have Zach Arnett there at Mississippi State who's taken over for um, there uh, for Mike Leach and everything. You have Hugh Freeze at Auburn. Obviously, Kirby's not going anywhere. Nick Saban's not going anywhere. Clark Lee is there at Vanderbilt. You know, I don't think he's going anywhere anytime soon. Maybe Stoops is on that list. I guess Stoops would be number two, but I believe Kentucky's going to be okay. Uh, Stoops would definitely be number two, when I, and I really don't agree with that. I don't think Mark Stoops should be on any kind of hot seat. Because, I mean, you sit there and you look at what Kentucky has accomplished while he has been there. Do you think any other coach would been would have been able to do that? I don't. <laughs> uh, you sit there and you look at Sam Pittman. I think he would probably be okay, but he, maybe he would be third in line on that hot seat list or whatever. Billy Napier, I think they'll give him another season as long as things just don't go completely implode in, in Gainesville or whatever. So I don't think there are too many major hot seat uh, coaches this season, right? At least currently, right now in the SEC, there's no question that there are that that list though is headed by Jimbo Fisher. So this is a huge gamble by him, and a lot of people obviously are talking about this marriage between he and Bobby Petrino. 
Here are his thoughts. Uh, again, how's this thing going to work? It's going to be interesting to see. Here's what Jimbo Fisher had to say. Well, I'm not going to get into all the dynamics in which we have, but Bobby takes him. He, he, he runs those rooms and does those rooms. We're all in there. But I'm in offensive rooms. I'm in defensive rooms all the time as a head coach. You have to be because you get what's going on. But great respect. Like I say, Bobby's one of the best play callers, one of the best offensive minds in college football, has for a long time, and quarterback guys. So he and I have a great respect, great work ethic, and have, it's been wonderful so far. And then I'm not going to get into from a schematic standpoint of what's going on or that part of it, but it's went very well, and we're very blessed to have him. Yeah, man. So that's Jimbo talking about – uh, that marriage between he and Bobby Petrino, man, it's going to be interesting. Uh, and that's the thing about this whole thing. You know, Jimbo Fisher was, one of, was looked at as one of the best offensive minds as well, <laughs> especially his time there at Florida State, even before that as a coordinator and all of those things. Uh, man, to see him come see that A&M offense last year was, was was unreal I could not believe it could not believe how bad they were offensively last season how inept they were at the quarterback position I understand they had some injuries and all of that but uh, and, this, and this really has gone on the last couple of seasons to be perfectly honest with you so um, again man it's gonna you know can Jimbo Fisher get this thing straight in, in, in Aggieland. I mean, this is it. I mean, there's no question about it. I mean, because we, are, we know how it goes. When you basically uh, are on the hot seat, which you definitely got on the hot seat last season, when you fire your offensive coordinator or you change offensive coordinators or whatever, the next step is to fire the coach. Um, and, of course, that was a huge question asked of him by a lot of people, how they will get along. Will Bobby Petrino be the one calling the plays? Will it be him calling the plays? Whose philosophy uh, will they be using on offense or whatever? And Jimbo was giving answers like, well, it'll be kind of a mixture of us both. He said he respected a lot of things that uh, Bobby Petrino did in the past and vice versa. So, again, on paper, I mean, you sit down, you really look at it. It could be, I mean, it could be really good. It really could be. And I think that's that's what makes Texas A&M a, a wild card. And I think even further than that, the other thing that really makes Texas A&M a wild card is this team has 10 starters returning on each side of the football. 20 of their 22 starters are returning. Now, they had a lot of turnover. You know, we know about those huge <laughs> recruiting classes that they had. They had the number one overall recruiting class just a couple seasons ago and all of that. Now, a lot of those guys transferred out. So, but still, I mean, I, I, I think this team was a wild card, not only, especially in the SEC. I mean, I could see this team turning this thing around and being a real factor in the SEC West or I could see them going 5-7 and seven like they did last season. <laughs> but if they're a factor in the SEC West, guess what? They're going to be a factor in the, in the national picture as well. And you know that the talent is there. Very interesting situation there in College Station, Texas. You, you you can't sleep on them. You can't sleep on them. And while I sit there and joke and laugh 
about, you know, Jimbo Fish, because my thing about Jimbo goes back to his days of Florida State. I mean, you know, and I think still people make it seem like he was just totally innocent. He had nothing to do (laughs) with the fall of Florida State's program, which in my opinion is totally false. Even while they were winning national championships, they had issues. They won the national championship in 13, and then the next season they got to the playoff. In those seasons, you had Heisman Trophy winning quarterback and and all of that, and they still had issues on the field, off the field, and all of that. And all that, to me, was centered around Jimbo Fisher, man. I'm sorry. That's just the way I saw it. And it has followed him to Texas A&M. So anyway, we'll see how it goes. But, I mean, A&M Aggies are absolutely a huge wild card in this whole thing. And, uh, man, they, they we'll, we'll know a little bit about this team very soon as they go to Miami in that second week, September 9. That's the same day that Alabama hosts Texas in Tuscaloosa. I mean, very interesting weekend, man. <laughs> I'll tell you right now. But, yeah, so anyway, that's my look at the SEC this week, man, and then kind of going over um, several of the coaches and their just a little bit of what they had to say to the media there at SEC Media Days. And now we're in – all the teams will be at camp here in just a day or two. Just about everyone by Thursday in the SEC will be in fall camp and it's really going to be real at that point. Alabama goes Wednesday. I think Auburn does Wednesday as well, if I'm not mistaken. It's here, y'all. It is here. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be exciting, man. Anyway, man, we're going to take another quick break, and I'm going to come back and close this show out. I'm going to close it out talking a little D-Hop and the Tennessee Titans and a couple of news and notes around the NFL. When Ball About the South continues. All right, y'all, we're back in Ball About the South. I'm going to close out the show with this segment. Is, um talk a little bit NFL. <laughs> the NFL is obviously there in the, basically in their second week for most teams. Uh, they're at training camp, so everybody's probably around their fifth or sixth practice or whatever, this fifth or sixth session of training camp and uh, we'll be talking about some real football here in the next week to 10 days definitely looking forward to that biggest piece of news around these parts Tennessee Titans signing D-Hop DeAndre Hopkins is a Titan he is already in training camp doing his thing and uh, the Titans are a better football team because of it Uh, I, I just I don't think there's any question about that. There are a lot of people out there that are really still questioning the impact that D-Hop could have on this Titans football team. I'm not really questioning it. The only thing, to, to me, the only question is health. And that is you know, his health. That is the health of Brian Tannehill. Other than that, I'm look, there's no way that De- DeAndre Hopkins is not going to have a positive impact on that football team. That just, there's just no way. If he's out there, he's going to have a positive impact. 
he's still again look he's not the d-hop that he was he's not the d-hop that we saw with the houston texans with texans we all know that he's he's not that d-hop that bill o'brien still foolishly traded away he's not that d-hop we know that but to say that he can't be a guy that <laughs> kind of puts a little bit of fear in, into a defense, into a defensive coordinator's head, I think is very short-sighted. If nothing else, he can do that. If nothing else, the presence of DeAndre Hopkins is going to help a Traylon Burks. It's going to help a Derrick Henry. It's going to help a Ryan Tannehill. It's going to help a Chig Conquo. That tight end. It's going to help every one of those guys. It's going to help an offensive line that's still trying to piece itself together. If you've got that number one guy that's going to be able to, um, you know, I, he's going to be able to garner enough attention that it should make everyone else's job a little bit easier than it was last season. And I just think people, <laughs> I just think people kind of forget that. I just really do. I mean, this is still a team that got off to a really good start last year and was destined to make the playoffs before they lost seven games in a row. They were seven and three now. With Traylon Burks, you know, Traylon Burks had injuries early in the season. Okay, I'm so really no number one receiver. I mean, <laughs> offensive line patched together. Injuries here and there, and this team was sitting seven and three. It's like basically the rest of the NFL. It took them ten weeks to sit there and figure out. Well, you know what? The Titans really can't throw the ball, can they? That's <laughs> what it looked like. I mean, I, I think in a lot of ways, it it was more the teams and uh, that the Titans were playing or whatever than it was the Titans but still <laughs> we're still talking about a team that was 7-3 and three. they lost 7 consecutive games so and, and I think another thing that a lot of people sit here and really in my opinion get wrong all the time and we're we, you know, me as a Titans fan and Titans fans in general are used to we're used to fans of other teams we're used to you know in the NFL we're used to media just really just kind of not knowing really what they're talking about in, in terms of the Tennessee Titans and, and everybody everybody you sit there and talk about talk to would think that Ryan Tannehill is just this trash QB that can't do anything he's all, all he is is the guy that threw that pick, that interception to end the Cincinnati Bengals game there in the uh, divisional round of the playoffs a couple years ago. He's all, that's all he is. He, he's a turnover machine. He's this. He's that. When it's totally the opposite. This dude is a pretty good regular season quarterback. Yes, he's had his issues in the playoffs. He certainly did. But <laughs> He ain't as bad as, as these people are trying to make him sound. It's just that it's just that simple. But again, like I said, we're used to that with the Tennessee Titans as being a fan, the media, other fans around the league, or whatever. 
they they really kind of dismissed those dudes wearing those blue those two-tone blue uniforms with the white and the little red and all that and by the way they the the Tennessee Titans unveiled those new Houston Oilers uniforms that they're going to wear a couple times this season they are fire that's going to be really cool to see those back on the field again so I can't really I really can't wait for that really looking forward to it so yeah man look the AFC, the AFC South obviously right now is a Jacksonville Jaguar division at least it was before this signing I think it was definitely a negative that the Titans at the time did not go out and get a receiver in the draft you know, it was looking like, you know, things were going to be the status quo offensively. And, they, hey, look, they still could be. They they still could be. I'm not saying that it's 100% definite. But I really believe that th- this offense is going to be a lot better now. And I think because of that, with this defense, I mean, the Titans' defense is going to be right there. This is a top-10 defense. They were last season, and I expect them to be this year. And they were top 10 defense with really an offense that <laughs> continued to give the ball back to the to the other offense, to the opposing offense. So I look for big things from this defense. And I look for, again, look, you have to give the Jags their, their, their just due. Don't get me wrong. You know, Trevor Lawrence, that offense, you got Kelvin Ridley coming back. Evan Ingram at tight end, good defense or whatever. Don't get me wrong. Doug Peterson leading the way with the, as the head coach. They still could probably be the favorite. But I think the Tennessee Titans are definitely going to make their presence felt. And I really think they have a really good shot to win that division now. Um, so, yeah. Because uh, the rest of the division, man, look, I mean, you know, I'm going to get deeper into all of this. And for me, the Texans are a team that's on the rise. D'Amico Ryan's leading that team. Obviously, them drafting Will Anderson and, and C.J. Stroud were huge. So I look for big things in the future. Would not be surprised. I mean, look, they've been. This is a Houston Texans team that's been beating teams <laughs> the last couple of years that they shouldn't have beat already. Would not surprise me if that continued this season at all. So, yeah, but I still think they're a season or two away from really making strides. And then, then there's the, the Indianapolis Colts. And I'm not really sure what to make of this Jonathan Taylor thing. <laughs> I, I'm really not. Because that was really the main thing that the, the, the Colts, yeah, okay, I know they went out. Anthony Richardson. And uh, obviously that is a huge move for them, I think. I think Anthony Richardson's going to be the real deal sooner or later, I really do, but I think it's going to take a minute for him to get there. So this Jonathan Taylor thing, you know, look, and if they don't have him, obviously I don't, I don't know what to say about this team this season. Uh, I, I think he's unquestionably the face of this franchise right now. At least he's the face of this offense. So... Yeah, I mean, we'll have to see what goes on with that, man. But uh, the Colts right now, I think, could be the team bringing up the rear in this division for right now. But again, look, 
all that's premature right now. We'll we'll talk about that here at a later date as I kind of give you my predictions and everything. But I definitely think D-Hop will definitely put a rise into what we think that the Tennessee Titans can be going forward. Anyway, man, look, I hope you guys enjoyed this show. We're going to get into a lot more NFL going forward, no question about it. Uh, Please like, subscribe, do all those things we talked about, man. We're all about the South, and uh, definitely look to hear you right back here next week on Ball About the South. Man, y'all take care out there. Peace out.